Hey there. My name is Aubrey Henderson. I'm a self-worth coach and professional calm in the chaos. I believe that when you're feeling stuck in your life and you can't decide on the next right step, that getting some perspective or a pep talk from someone outside of your shoes can be an absolute game changer. This podcast is that pep talk. Every week, I'll share my responses to listener questions, real life coaching sessions, and interviews about topics that you can connect with and learn from. All things that will help you to reconnect with your own self-worth and inner goodness and vision for your life so you can feel great and get shit done. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey babes, welcome to this week's episode, which is actually an episode from January of this year that I am resharing with you now as a sort of intro to a mini-series that I am going to be doing. And it's going to be focused entirely on people-pleasing. And I know that's a topic that I sort of, you know, weave throughout everything that I talk about um, and that, you know, comes up a fair amount here on the podcast. But I really wanted to, you know, focus on it more intentionally and dive a little deeper into some topic areas under this umbrella of people pleasing. And I figured what better way to start that than to share this episode I recorded in January, which I feel like gives a really good primer on, you know, the the concept of people pleasing more broadly, how to tell if you are a people pleaser, if what you're you're doing, the behavior you're engaging in is people pleasing. And it also shares a good bit of my own personal story and journey with people pleasing and, you know, illustrates what that looked like for me and also, you know, gives you a little window into why this topic matters to me so much. So with that, happy listening. I hope you enjoy. So, you know, I shared a little bit kind of the beginning, very surface level of my own story of being a people pleaser. Um on Instagram a few days ago. But, you know, basically, if we share the high level here, people experience me and have reflected back to me, um, especially in recent years, but, you know, for a while now that I I come across as pretty confident. I am an assertive person. Um, People really close to me will tell you that I'm pretty assertive, um, that I'm unique, uh, that I'm brave, all of these things. And all these things, first, to be clear, I take as huge compliments. I mean, it just like, those. it's incredible to me that people think that I am those things. So thank you. Um, but you know what I shared is that I haven't always been this way or come across this way. And I still don't always feel this way. And so, you know, I struggled for as far back as I can remember with this fear that really was kind of crushing, this fear of disappointing people. And it goes back beyond, like, I think, you know, and I talk to people about this all the time, like, I distinctly remember growing up, like, if I did something to, like, piss off my mom, who's my kind of primary parent, or even my dad, um, the worst thing wasn't, like, I'm mad at you, wasn't you're grounded. The worst thing that I could hear was, I'm disappointed in you. And I think that is true for a lot of people with their parents. But for me, it really went beyond. And so this idea that I could disappoint anybody, that somebody would be let down by me was something that I was trying to avoid at all costs. So, you know, in school, um, 
for as long as I can remember, I was a high achiever. I always wanted to be the smartest, be the best. Um, And not necessarily because I wanted to be better than other people, but because I wanted to be sure I was creating something for people to be proud of, for people to be pleased with me. Um, You know, I wanted to be the perfect friend. I wanted to be the perfect daughter. Um, And this wasn't necessarily about any external pressures people were putting on me. It was kind of coming from within. And so this, this manifests itself in pretty significant anxiety for me from a young age. And that wasn't something that I you know, was able to really identify until until college that I was experiencing anxiety and to like start to, you know, go to therapy and, you know, look at medication and things to treat that. But, um, you know, that when I look back on, you know, as I was in, in school studying psychology and learning about, you know, different mental health experiences, like anything describing anxiety was like, oh, yes, this has been me forever. Um you know, I kind of see myself in many ways as like the dictionary definition of of anxiety that had manifested itself in some adaptive ways. But I just I was an anxious kid from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, through even through college, it was very much this like, yeah, I'm anxious, but I'm like a high flyer. I'm, you know, doing well in school, doing well at my jobs. It's fine. Um and but then again, it was all rooted in this idea of like, I don't want to disappoint people. I want to make other people happy with me and proud of me and things like that. And the ultimate kind of low point for me didn't really come until, you know, I was in my mid 20s. I was in grad school and I was in a relationship that was really, really bad in a lot of ways and not like bad, like, oh, there wasn't a spark, like bad, like there was there was like abuse happening there it was toxic and you know just problematic in a lot of ways and so you know i was experiencing all of this pain i was and in many ways which i'm proud of myself for i did you know express my unhappiness my you know the boundaries i wanted the things that felt like they were being violated to the person i was in a relationship with but that other person was happy with how things were set up for us. And what happened was I kind of lost myself in that. I figured if he's happy, I must be the problem. And so what happened is that I deprioritized everything else in my life, everything else that had been so important to me or so I thought, um, my friendships, my schoolwork, my own health and my own happiness, all of these things that mattered so much to me because I just fell really deeply into this idea that as long as I was making my partner happy, I would be fine. And it's, y'all, it's sad to even talk about that shit. Like it's really, that was a moment that was like, let me just give it all over to making someone else happy, even if it means everything that has felt so important to me and has been so important to me and that I've worked so hard for just goes down the drain. And so you know, that kind of is like my lowest point there is that I I had, you know, lost myself completely in another person. Um, and so it took kind of leaving that relationship. And I say leaving, like this is a relationship where my mother drove, you know, I told her I was like, you know, just in a terrible place. And I think it was hearing my voice or seeing my face on FaceTime or something. But she got in the car and drove like seven hours to come pick me up and put me in her car and turn seven 
drive seven hours back, turn straight around and go back um, to get me out of that. And like, I'm so grateful for that because that that is kind of the jarring moment that I needed to be like, okay, what the fuck am I doing here? And so thank you, mom, if you're listening. Um, But yeah, it took leaving that relationship for me to kind of begin this journey of recovery from people pleasing and to recognize even that that was what I was doing. And I think one of the things about people pleasing that's so interesting is we think like, well, yeah, you're a people pleaser. Like you don't let other people down. That's a good thing. And like to me, to that, I would say yes. But there's a difference between like, you know, I care about my significant other And so when they, you know, express a need or a boundary or a wish to me, I'm going to do what I can within my own boundaries and like safe zone to, you know, do something for them, to support them, to please them. If I'm, you know, at a job where I'm asked to do a function of my role and maybe it's not my favorite thing to do, but it's a part of my role and my boss asks me to do it. I'm probably going to do it again within reason, within our own, you know, personal principles and boundaries. I'm probably going to do that thing. And yes, it is probably going to please my boss, but that doesn't necessarily make me a people pleaser in the same way as if I'm in a relationship where my my boundaries are being violated constantly, where I'm in pain, I am always constantly unhappy and still going above and beyond deeper into that pain and unhappiness because it serves another person, that to me is the difference. So I think there are things that we do that are actions that are are healthy and are within our healthy boundaries and are still promoting our emotional health that may please others. And I think it is, yes, generally a good thing to seek to do things that are supportive and nourishing of other people. This is not an attempt to say, like, don't be a people pleaser because you should only focus on yourself and be selfish. Um, But it's really about kind of completely subverting your own needs. It's about this idea of dismissing your own needs. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it really was seeing, stepping back and seeing, like, oh, this is like a thing that I'm doing chronically. And it's a thing that I can trace back through my whole life. This idea of, you know, me being the person I thought I was supposed to be and completely losing touch with the person that I actually was. And so, you know, there's there's a recovery process for that. I mean, also what I learned around that time, and it was interesting because it converged with this time in my life that I was in graduate school. I was studying to become a therapist and most of my work was in you know, the addiction recovery world. And I was working in treatment centers and I was working in, you know, 12-step settings and recovery support groups and, you know, learning about recovery from addiction. And in learning about that and kind of digging into that literature, I came across literature around something called codependency. And so codependency, and this is just like very kind of high level terminology. There's tons of great literature that, um, you know, Melody Beatty is a great author um, if you want to learn more about codependency. But, you know, codependency is basically this idea of of needing to be needed. It's, you know, codependency is basically where you are in a relationship with someone who 
may be emotionally unhealthy. And, you know, maybe this often comes up for, you know, folks who are in relationships or marriages or friendships or, you know, are parents of or children of people who are who are active in alcohol or drug addiction. And, you know, part of your identity is you kind of become addicted to the ways that you have to take care of somebody else. And so, again, there are much more eloquent definitions of this and things you can read more about. But, you know, it really is that idea of needing to be needed. And any of my Enneagram twos out there listening to this, you're going to be like, oh, shit, like that is this. A lot of this is the epitome. I'm an Enneagram two. If you don't know about the Enneagram, um, definitely recommend checking that out. But that's because I am a giant nerd for the Enneagram. But anyway, back to back to people pleasing. I basically learned that that my particular flavor of people pleasing was more in the codependency kind of area. It was about this idea of kind of seeking out folks who were in an emotionally unhealthy place because it gave me a way to feel like I was needed. And it kind of gave me validation that I was that I was important in the relationship, that I actually had a role in the relationship because I didn't believe. And that's what's interesting is what's underneath that is that I didn't believe that I was worth anything in a relationship if I wasn't taking care of somebody. If the person I was with was healthy, then why did they need me around? And the idea that they could want me around was like inconceivable to me. And I say that now, it just breaks my heart. Like it's, it really... To think that that's the way I was thinking about myself and that it felt so normal. It didn't feel like anything that I was doing or the way I was thinking about it was strange until it got so painful and until I had completely lost myself in it. That it really sunk in that like, oh shit, this is a problem. And so I think that's just another thing about this idea of people pleasing. It becomes so second nature. And I think it's, re- it's also interesting to see that there's a gender element to this. A lot of the time and some of that is about how we're socialized I feel as as women in particular or you know um, you know folks in kind of more feminine roles we you know are socialized to feel that we need to be caretakers for others whether that's a significant other whether that's a parent whether that's um, you know a sibling a family member um, we really feel like we need to step into that role and that's part of who we are and what we need to do and what we have to offer. And, you know, what happens there is that we we dive into kind of what others need and focus so deeply on what others need, what would make others happy, that it allows us to kind of de-identify with what we need. It distracts from admitting that we have any needs or any desires at all. And so if we throw ourselves into loving and nourishing and helping other people, that, you know, we can pretend like we don't have needs. We can distract from that completely. And you'll notice, you know, somebody who might struggle with this, something that's really common is that, you know, if somebody asks you, what do you need? Or, you know, what do you want? it might be hard to even answer that. And if you've been, you know, 
existing in a space where you've been focusing on somebody else's needs or on everybody else's needs but your own. It's easy to completely lose sight of the fact that you have needs of your own. It's, it's easy to lose track of them, of what they even are. It can start to feel unnatural to even tap into that and what that means. And that's a lot of the work of recovering from this, of pulling back from being a people pleaser, is staying connected and staying in tune and tracked onto what it is that you want, what it is that you need at any given time. And something for me that was interesting is I, and I worked through this in a ton of therapy, but this idea that I even had needs at all was kind of like, I, I couldn't, it was intolerable to me, the idea that I had needs. And if you really dig into what that means, I mean, it's like, why? Why is it that I was so afraid that I had needs. I kind of would pride myself on being like super low maintenance, like, oh, I'm chill, whatever. Like, I don't really need all that much. I don't need much attention. I don't need much care. First of all, that's bullshit. And second of all, what that actually serves to do, it's a distraction. Because if you dig into why, and I'm big on this, like, if you're feeling a feeling, if you're grappling with something, ask yourself why. If a feeling is uncomfortable to you, if you know, somebody proposes something or asks you a question and you you don't want to go there. Ask yourself why. And if I ask myself why, if I dig a little deeper into that, and this is true for me, it might not be for you, um, but this is definitely true for me and would love to hear from you if this, if you relate to this at all. But if I think about like, oh, I don't, you know, uh, I don't want to admit that I have needs. I don't like that idea that I have needs. So I ask myself, why? Why don't you like the idea of having your own needs. Why is that so repellent to you? And if I really dig into it, it's that, well, I don't want to have needs because I'm afraid that if I express my needs, someone will not meet them. Somebody will say that's too much. And this is a phrase that like, and it punches me in the gut, even when I say it, and I know I'm about to say it, like, This idea of being too much for someone else to take care of, for somebody else to want to deal with, that I, you know, the way that I am, the way that I'm showing up in a relationship is that I'm serving your needs. I'm meeting your needs. I'm demonstrating my value by taking care of you. If I ask you to take care of me, you might say no. You might say, "Mm, I don't care to do that. Or, mm, that's too much for me. You're too needy, too clingy, too much. And, like, don't get me wrong. That shit is painful because that's rejection. It's this idea that we put ourselves out there and it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to say, I need blank, period. It takes us back to that, like, place of being like a, a little kid, And of, you know, expressing needs because, you know, we need our needs met in order to thrive. And there are some needs that other people can meet for us better than we can meet them for ourselves. And that takes us back, you know, to being little kids who have needs that we need to have met from our parents. And, you know, all of this stuff ultimately, I believe, stems from that. Go read about some attachment theory and, you know, totally fuck yourself up with that. But I, you know, ultimately, I believe a lot of this stuff goes all the way back to that. This idea that it's 
when you stand in front of another adult, when you as an adult stand in front of another adult and say, I need blank from you, there is always the possibility that that person's not going to meet that need for you. They're going to say no. And the hard thing is that they get to say no. That's called having boundaries. That's called consent. (laughs) And it's important. And so that person gets to say no. And we know that, which is why we are afraid. We're afraid to make that need known. And so as a result, we pretend that it's not even there. We pretend that we don't have it. And what we do as people pleasers is we actually work to over, over, over please and nurture and care for others over the top to the point of sometimes being overbearing and a little extra in the hopes that that person is going to see what you're doing and say, oh, maybe I should take care of them back and that they're going to take care of you in return. You're hoping that you're going to like psychologically hack them into meeting your needs for you, into caring for you because you're caring for them. You're hoping that by demonstrating it, that they're going to start to mimic you. And some of that, sure, treat others the way you want to be treated, like all of those things, true. But ultimately, unless we're asking for what we need, we can't be sure that the other person knows what we need. And so that's the part of being a people pleaser that can be really painful. It can cause you to build up this resentment. It it can further the narrative that, well, this person isn't returning the favor. This person isn't treating me the way I'm treating them. Maybe I don't deserve it, so I better not ask for it. And so it gets us into this cycle. It gets us into this cycle that, you know, I if I keep doing this, I'll be needed. But being needed is never going to feel the same as being wanted. And ha- tricking someone into meeting your needs, maybe, is never going to feel the same as being able to ask honestly and vulnerably and assertively for what you need and having someone oblige that and return that for you. Or worst case scenario, having someone say, I can't do that for you. And so this is why people pleasing is such a painful cycle, y'all. This is what I talk about when I say that it's this is something that I want to help folks get out of. It's truly a spiral that you can you can really lock yourself into and can be tough to come out of, but it's possible. And I mean, I say it as somebody who's done it. And that's not to say, and I talked about this on Instagram too, that is not to say that I am perfect at this. <laughs> what I said in my Instagram post is like, dude, I posted in my Instagram story like a silly poll of like, y'all, I don't know, like my hair is blonde now. I might want to go back to pink, but I like the blonde too. Like, what should I do? And I had people vote. And overwhelmingly, people said dye pink. Um, some people said keep it blonde. I Before I even posted it, I wanted to dye my hair pink. Um, and my wife will tell you this, that when I've resolved to do something, especially with my hair, I'm just going to do it. Um, but I thought it would be fun to poll people. And it was. And people had like cute things to say. And um yeah, but then, you know, ultimately I went and got stuff to dye my hair pink. I got ready to do it. And there is a part of me that stops and says, Oof, you know, what about those six people that <laughs> might have been more than six, six people that said, you know, no, keep it blonde. Like I like the blonde. And that, by the way, if you're one of those six people, don't feel bad right now because it's not about it's not anything you did. I asked you to vote and you did. And thank you for liking my blonde hair. But it, that just goes back to the fact that that 
that is still in there for me. This idea of like, oh no, I'm going to disappoint somebody. Oh, I'm going to let somebody down. And what is that going to mean about me? Even with something as silly as dyeing my fucking hair. And so like this shit comes up all the time. This is not, it's easier for me now. It's easy for me to kind of step back and say, oh, there's my people pleaser coming out. Like looks like that's happening again. But the recovery process from this is ongoing. And, you know, I feel the reason I'm sharing my own story and kind of my own understanding about this with you all today is that I feel really committed and, you know, something I'm really particularly committed to in the new year is doing this work not only for myself, but also helping others to do the same and, you know, bringing others along in that. And so, you know, one of those things is I'm, you know, working on a resource for you all, um, I'm so excited about. Um, it's very much in the beginning stages right now. So, um, you know, look out for that later in 2020. But a resource that I'm going to be able to share with you all um, that's going to support folks who are on this journey to overcome these people-pleasing habits, to, you know, overcome this cycle of people-pleasing and really to do the work to reconnect with your own worth with your own desires, you know, with what you really need and what you really want and to feel confident in knowing that, first of all, and then in communicating that with others in how you set boundaries and how you ask for what you need and really, you know, creating a process to take people through that will help you to kind of, you know, rejigger your thinking and help you to build healthier new habits in how you're communicating in how you're thinking and conceptualizing yourself and the people around you. And so I'm really, really excited for that. Um, You know, and I hope that you all are too. If this is a journey that you're on, just know that one, you're so, so deeply not alone. So first of all, just go check out. There's a couple of hashtags that I have started using on my recent posts about people pleasing. If you go dig into some of those, you are beyond not alone There are tons of folks who struggle with this or who struggle with some variation of this. And, you know, a lot of what's at the core of this is caring deeply about others. And that is so meaningful. And those are, there are qualities in there that are incredible strengths. The idea that you want to love and nurture others is an incredible strength. That you want to care for the people around you, that's a huge strength. And it's really ultimately also about just knowing that you deserve to be cared for too. And, you know, if you have a career or a hobby or even just an interpersonal kind of calling to be nurturing to other people, that that doesn't have to be at the expense of your own mental health, of your own wellness, of your own boundaries, of your own sanity. And so I really hope you'll come on this journey with me. Um, You know, I'm going to be sharing more here on the podcast about this idea of people pleasing. Um, And I, you know, I hope you'll, you know, share some questions about it too. If any of this resonated with you, if it's bringing up kind of a particular scenario or, you know, thing that you're struggling with in your life, if there's something in here that you had questions about that you want me to talk more about, please, please, please send in a question. You can send that at my website. That's aubreyhenderson.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram. Um, You can record a voice memo at 
um, anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, all one word, I believe. Um, I'll link it in the description, though, just to be sure. Um, And it's also linked on my website. But you can, you know, submit your questions, submit your thoughts, anything you want me to talk about. Remember that, you know, this podcast is for you. It is for the things that you want to hear about, the things that you are struggling with. And I know that, you know, this broad topic is something that I've talked to many of you about. But, you know, if there are things that are more specific you want to dig into, let's do it. Ask Aubrey is supported by Eliza and Wild. Eliza and Wild creates all-natural, high-potency CBD products designed to give you targeted, everyday self-care inside and out. Their ingestible and topical CBD products are consciously designed with all-natural and intentionally sourced ingredients and fully recyclable packaging. So it's good for you and for the earth. And y'all, Eliza and Wild literally does not have a single product that I don't love. I have them all. And everything smells and tastes incredible and is made with ingredients that I can feel good about putting on and in my body. I take the CBD and MCT oil drops daily, and they help me to really keep my anxiety and my tension under control. And they also have a line of amazing CBD topical products, including this lip balm that I am truly obsessed with. And like, did you know that CBD actually has anti-inflammatory properties when you apply it directly to your skin? Because I didn't until I started to use this lip balm and it is changing my life. And also it smells amazing, which we all know is really important. And I know that you're going to love these products just as much as I do. So when you grab yours at ElizaAndWild.com, you can use the promo code Aubrey15 at checkout for 15% off your order. That's ElizaAndWild.com, E-L-I-Z-A-A-N-D-W-Y-L-D.com. And make sure to use code Aubrey15, that's A-U-B-R-E-E-1-5, for 15% off. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes. <laughs>